hey, Joe Casaboni here, and I'm just letting you know that how I built it is now Streamlined Solopreneur. So if you're seeing a new artwork and a new name in your podcast player, that is expected and by design. The new name better reflects the mission and really what has been the mission of this show for the last few years, and I'm really excited about it. All the links in the show notes and how I built it will still work, but the show also has a new home over at streamlined.fm if you want to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. A lot of times we see people want to say like, oh, would you buy this? Or what do you think of this idea? That's so common. Like, hey, I actually did a call with somebody last week who asked me, hey, can I pitch you my idea for my business? I'm getting customer feedback. And so I was really curious about this. And I was like, yes, let's chat. And I did this call and they asked me, okay, here's my product idea. And he like really pitched me on the whole thing. And, and he was like, I had done so many of these calls. And I was like, this is like not the right way to do this because you don't want to pitch your idea or ask, what do you think about this? Or would you buy this? You want to say, tell me about the last time you solved this problem. Tell me about whatever challenges you have around X topic, because the stories are where the data is. Over the last few weeks, you've heard from multiple guests about the importance of research. Dapps talked about calculated risks and doing research for the actual calculation. Nikki Rausch talked about speaking your potential customer's language and the requirement to do research to learn that language. Adriana told us to do research while we're preparing to be a guest on a podcast. But that begs the question, how? How do we make sure we're doing the right kind of research to yield helpful information or data? especially if we're not a huge company. Well, we need to do scrappy research, which is why I brought my friend Becky Pearson Davidson onto the show. She's an educator, speaker, and community-driven product strategist who's focused on helping people like us simplify our customer journey, improve retention, and increase customer lifetime value. And she's got the receipts working with diverse clients, including personal brands, Fortune 500 companies, creative service agencies, and startups. So I thought there was no better way to close out the year and this season than to talk to her about scrappy research. Look for these top takeaways. Research prevents you from building the wrong thing. Launches that flop are usually launches that have no research backing them up. Don't just build something for you. It's not about you. Sure, some people will tell you to dog food your own product, but your business won't survive if you're the only customer. And you want quantitative and qualitative research. Look at all of your analytics, see what content performs well, but also survey your audience and have real conversations with potential customers. You only need five to find a theme and a problem to solve. Plus, in the pro show, Becky and I talk about creating a customer journey map. And for this episode, pro members do get the video so they can see what we're talking about. If you want to sign up for that, you can join over at howibuilt.it slash join. Or if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe right in the app. 
I love talking to Becky. I always love talking to Becky. And I know that this is going to be a hugely helpful conversation for you. So without further ado, let's get to the intro and then the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast that helps busy solopreneurs and creators grow their business without spending too much time on it. I'm your host, Joe Casabona, and each week I bring you interviews and case studies on how to build a better business through smarter processes, time management, and effective content creation. It's like getting free coaching calls from successful solopreneurs. By the end of each episode, you'll have one to three takeaways you can implement today to stop spending time in your business and more time on your business or with your friends, your family, reading, or however you choose to spend your free time. Becky, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm so excited to have you on the show because... We did, we got together in August with a couple of other people from a community we're a part of, and we did like some IRL working stuff, which some of it we're going to talk about in the, I don't usually promo the pro show this early on, but we're going to talk about the customer journey map in the pro show. So if you want that, just go right now to howibuilt.it slash pro, or if you're listening in Apple podcasts, you can just press that subscribe button and subscribe right in the app because that is going to be a great conversation. However, Becky is here to talk about scrappy research. And if you've been listening to the show for the last few weeks, you've probably heard many people say, make sure you do your research, but we really never dug into how to do that research. So Becky, let's dive right into it. Why is research important? Well, the number one reason is because you want to make sure you don't build the wrong thing, which happens all the time. I mean, I think every single creator or founder can relate to building the wrong thing at some point. Like you launch something and it flops or you think you have a great idea, like you're in the shower and you're like, oh, I know what I should do next. And you go and launch a sales page or a beta list or wait list and then you launch it and crickets, right? And so research helps avoid that problem, saves you money, time. Yeah, and that's like the dangerous part here, right? Is like if you had to start a business like 20 years ago, you couldn't just like build a landing page the moment you had an idea, right? You had to jump through enough hoops to maybe make you think about if it's worth your time. But like if legit, like if I got an idea while I was talking to you, during your next answer, I could build a landing page. Like (laughs) (laughs) Because there's like so many templates and everything's kind of connected anyway. And so I think you're right. Like the speed at which you can launch the landing page is not the important part anymore. The important part is making sure you know that you're building the right thing. Yeah, and that really comes down to making sure you really understand who you're serving and what their challenges are and what their needs are and crafting a solution that solves their problems and not just your shower idea, which I see all the time. And I'm guilty of myself even just you know how it's like easier to give advice than take your own advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and so sometimes I do it myself and I'm like, oh man, like I really didn't do my research before trying this thing. And so, yeah, it can really save you a lot of time and money and and help you prioritize what you should focus on because we all have a million different routes we could go down. Yeah, right. And I like what you said here, craft a solution to solve their problem, right? Because this is coming from the developer space. Like it was really easy for me to, like build a WordPress plugin in a weekend and maybe sell it, right? 
And then I would build the landing page and I would talk about how it's built with PHP and directly into WooCommerce. And like no one who needs that solution cares, right? Yeah. The solution that someone needed was, I don't know, a plugin I built was like, it would change the name of the product in the cart to remind them of the value without having to go back to the landing page or something. You know, it was like neat little plugin. So that's the solution, right? Prevent churn, right? Or prevent cart abandonment is the actual solution to that problem. So I love that. I guess, how do you temper the excitement, right? Because the excitement is the big thing. Like, oh, I thought of this great idea. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait to put this out into the world. (laughs) That's a great question. I don't know that I have the perfect answer, but I have worked with so many founders and entrepreneurs and they want to dive right in and, and run with an idea. And so I use a framework that comes from, so I'm from the tech industry too. So going back to building custom software, it was a lot more easy to convince like, hey, don't go down this route because it's going to cost you $300,000 to build this product, right? Like there's just a different level. Like you can't just throw up the landing page like we talked about. It's almost like it's so quick to be able to build things now that quality has really taken a nosedive and making sure you put something out that's of quality is a lot more challenging. But anyway, coming back to your question, I put them through this kind of like rubric, which is what is the customer value of this idea? What is the business value of this idea? And how hard is it going to be for me to follow through on this? What is the level of effort? Now, the trick, the kicker is that you double the customer value in the formula. And that's because that matters more than anything else. So you want to make sure that the customer value is really there for you to pursue an idea. But you also need to make sure it's worth it from a business standpoint, too, so that it's actually worth like your bottom line to pursue this and put the energy and effort and time into it. So that can help you prioritize. So if you come out of the shower and you're like, I got to write this idea down, like add it to your tracker that you enter these numbers in. So it's actually a formula. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Because again, like it's very easy to be like, well, I think it's a good idea, right? I mean, like you have comedians who they have their specials. And so you think like all their jokes are hits, right? Like, oh, this is hysterical. Oh, this is great. But what we didn't see, right, was them like audience testing in clubs on like random Thursday nights to see if a joke did well or not. And like, so for the comedian, like the value in doing that club set, right, the value of his or her time is making sure the jokes for the Netflix special are good because you want the Netflix special to be as good as it could be. You want a lot of laughs. That's the customer value. And so I, I like that a lot because the level of effort could be low for you or me to, to throw up a landing page with a, like, right? Like you, heck, we can go to like oneonone.com and set up a landing page right now or buymeacoffee.com and set up a landing page right now. Payments accepted in 15 minutes. And then you're like, how come no one's buying my thing? It's because you haven't figured out what the value for the customer is. Yeah, totally. This also can help you with just prioritizing the experiments. So what you described at the comedy club, it's like they're experimenting lots of different ideas, but even a product experiment, like what you just described with the buy me a coffee thing, that's an experiment you're running. And you can only run so many experiments at once. So it's also about prioritizing which ones you focus on. I'm really glad you touched on that because that's the next thing I was going to ask about, right? Because like, you know, I'm a solopreneur, you're a solopreneur. Our job is more or less to experiment and see what works, right? So for example, one experiment I'm running right now is I had a shower idea and instead of building a landing page and a checkout page, 
I decided to figure out if my mailing list was actually interested in this. And so I sent an email about, I got into an argument with my six-year-old daughter over the weekend. I basically told that story and then I said, I want to do this. If you're interested, email me back and say interested, right? I've got 1,300 people on my mailing list. If like 13 people, Taylor Swift number, right? If 13 people email me back and say they're interested, then I'll be like, all right, maybe this has some legs and it's worth pursuing. So that's like the first little experiment I'm running. To your point, right? This is kind of my own little customer research. These are the people who are most invested in what I'm doing. Yeah. And what you're describing is really like idea validation. So you're kind of actually a few steps deep in the process. Like you've already noticed that this is a problem that exists and you're like, okay, how can I help solve this problem for my audience? Because they are struggling with storytelling or whatever. Like you've already done some work to get those insights out. So if we like go a little bit stepping back, I think like we start to build a business and we're building an email list. We're maybe launching a product and we're collecting people, right? We're collecting people on this list. We're starting to talk to them, but we're not necessarily like checking back in with them to see why they, like they might've joined for a reason in the first place, but what's going on in their world today now. And so doing continuous and as you know, I call it scrappy research. Doing yeah. continuous scrappy research is really important to be able to just continue to understand the evolution of who you're serving because everybody's on some sort of transformation and growth and path. So like if they first joined because they were maybe starting a podcast later down the line, they might actually be struggling with storytelling. So you want to like basically keep learning what they're all about over time. So Like for example, in my business recently, I did a survey and then I also did a bunch of one-on-ones with people that are on my list. And I noticed that this like journey mapping thing was coming up again and again and again. And I'm like, okay, this is really resonating. It's the most popular page on my website was this one article I wrote about it. So that to me was an indicator that that's a problem that people want help with their journey mapping. And I've really kind of run with that in my business. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. This is that story really resonates with me because I feel like I went through a very similar thing when I joined the lab, right? Which is, I guess, a little over a year ago now, a year and a half or whatever, where I was like, oh, I'll just like teach people how to make money podcasting, right? Like people would casually ask me about that. And then I realized through people in the lab and through research that like making like your first $10,000, which was like my promise, like was fine. Like some people wanted that, but I noticed that like people who were just starting felt like that was an unbelievable number. And then like the people on the other end were like $10,000 is not a lot of money. I'm like, oh great, I'm in this weird middle that nobody cares about or very few people care about. Whereas the automation, the how do you run three podcasts with three kids, that question, some version of that question kept coming up. And that's like what I've decided to run with is how can I save you like 12 hours a week so that you can tell better stories, so that you can reach out to sponsors, so that you can spend more time actually crafting the content instead of struggling to publish every week. Yeah, that's so good. And how did you see your business shift when you started to go down that path or make that change? Yeah, that's a great, it's <laughs> a really good question. <laughs> I'm interviewing <And> you now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is really good though, right? Because... <laughs> I basically went from people who were just starting, right? Like the fatal flaw I always, always made in my whole career because I love teaching is I would target beginners. But the problem with targeting beginners is you need a huge audience if you want to make money off of them. And I don't have a huge audience. So like that was never a, a financially sustainable niche for me. 
And so I went from like a small group of beginners who like didn't really want to pay me what I needed to get paid to keep my business running to now I'm landing agencies and bigger companies who are like, yeah, our team is spending five, six figures on our podcast and we really need to improve the process. Can you help us? And like, I sure can help you. So yeah, it's been a big shift. And I feel like we're coming up on the, as this episode comes out, end of 2023, I feel like 2024 is going to be, I feel a lot clearer. And so I feel like 2024 is going to be a really good year for that side of the business for me. Yeah, I think you just touched on like the other most important part of research, which is like, it gives you clarity. And there's nothing that feels better than clarity because when, like we talked about earlier, wanting to go a thousand directions, you finally have the idea of like which directions make sense to head down once you started to get that. And the other thing you said is like you started getting a lot of questions. So there's a lot of different ways to do research, but being really intentional about collecting that data is important. Like if you have, let's say, a welcome sequence on your email list and you ask them, hey, what's a challenge you're facing right now or or something in that first sequence and you start getting replies, like record that and see what the trends are. And every time you kind of revisit the research in your business, you want to look at what were those replies? What are the things that people are asking you all the time? And so you're you're really looking at pattern recognition. So it's questions being asked, but it's also asking great questions because you can't just ask somebody what they want. And that's why earlier when you talked about your product idea that you emailed your list, you're like, would you be interested? That's helpful because you're validating something. And if people click they're interested, okay, then the positioning is probably done well. Like your value prop was strong, but you want to understand the problem a little bit earlier in that process. And so it's important to kind of recognize those differences. Right, right. That's a great point because even as I was writing that email, I started writing it from the perspective of like how to be a good podcast guest. And then I kind of recognized that, well, my mailing list is mostly, well, podcasters are aspirational podcasters, right? And like, yes, be a podcast guest if you are a podcaster. That's how you grow your show. But I kind of had to change the positioning to be like, this is why you need to tell good stories as a podcast host, right? Or this is why you need to understand storytelling as a podcast host. It's a little bit different as a guest. So the positioning is really important there, like you said. Yep. And when you ask questions, here's a here's a fun tip. So a lot of times we see people want to say like, oh, would you buy this? Or what do you think of this idea? That's so common. Like, hey, I actually did a call with somebody last week who asked me, hey, can I pitch you my idea for my business? I'm getting customer feedback. And so I was really curious about this. And I was like, yes, let's chat. And I did this call and they asked me, okay, here's my product idea. And he like really pitched me on the whole thing. And and he was like, I had done so many of these calls. And I was like, this is like not the right way to do this because you don't want to pitch your idea or ask, what do you think about this? Or would you buy this? You want to say, tell me about the last time you solved this problem. Tell me about whatever challenges you have around X topic because the stories are where the data is. An example I teach my students is when, if you ask me, how many times do you go to the gym a week? I'm going to tell you, oh, four to five times. I go to the gym. Now, you're not really getting that much information from that. You're just finding out a number, but you're also getting lies. And it's not that I'm intentionally lying to you. It's that humans are highly aspirational. Like we want to say like, yes, I will buy this. Like, yes, I would definitely do this program. Oh yes, I go to the gym five times a week. Like I have all of these big dreams and this is exactly what I do. But if you said, 
tell me about your workouts last week. You're going to get way more information about how I exercise. You're going to find out I only did it twice. <laughs> right. Well, I wasn't feeling very good. And something mm-hmm. came up at the time. I usually go to the gym, right? Like, yeah. yeah, love that. I had a very similar experience recently where someone kind of reached out and they're like, I'd love to ask you a few questions around podcasting. And I'm like, oh, yeah, great, great. So we get on the call. And they're telling me about how they want to do like a, well, I guess if they're listening, it's going to be really obvious I'm talking about them, but that's fine. (laughs) Like a Facebook ads for podcasters to grow your show. And I'm like, here's all of the problems with that. Like, first of all, podcasters who aren't growing their show don't have money. And so they don't, they're not going to spend it on Facebook ads. And then I got a lot of, well, but this, well, but that. And I'm like, you're not looking for idea validation. You in your head, think you have a great idea. And so like my feedback, it's almost like in college, anytime anybody asked me what computer should I buy, I would always tell them to buy the $600 Dell because all you're going to do is write papers and surf the internet. And they're like, but I want a Mac. And I'm like, but you don't need (laughs) the Mac. And they're like, but I want it. And I'm like, well, then we shouldn't have this conversation. You asked me what I think you should buy. You should have said, tell me I should buy the Mac. Okay. (laughs) Like that's a different question. Yeah, people often look for validation bias in their research. So one of the things I noticed working with like one of my larger clients recently, they have a research practice. Like they're like, oh yes, we're always doing research. We're always testing our ideas, but it's very much like validation bias where this is what I'm thinking about doing. You want to, you want to join, right? Like that's not research. (laughs) Yeah. You're leading the witness, right? You are leading the witness. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And so The way to avoid doing that is to keep your questions really open. So what, starting them with what, starting them with how. And then, like I mentioned, my favorite one is tell me about the last time you X or what is the most frustrating part of Y, like whatever the problem is. What is the most frustrating part about trying to run a podcast while having, while being a parent? Like, is it the sound? Is it the sound? Is it the noise? Is it finding the time? Like you might have lots of ideas about what it is, but it could be something completely different. Yeah. I think that's where I struggle the most when I have those conversations is I then give examples. What's your biggest struggle being a parent and a podcaster? Is it like the noise? Is it your kid's <laughs> capricious schedule? And they're like, yeah, all of those things. And I'm like, dang, like I just gave <laughs> them like, answers. I messed up. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard. And that's why like, there's a whole art to it. Like you have to be really careful about your conversations. And for people like us that love to talk a lot, you also have to shush. Like you have to just put out the what question, the how question, the quick thing. And you want to get that deeper level of why and understanding. So you can follow up with why or tell me more about that. But don't say, like, don't lead the witness and don't give them lots of examples. If they're really stuck and you're pulling teeth in the conversation, that's one thing. But most of the time you won't have that issue. Yeah, I guess if you're pulling teeth, right, is that indicative that maybe they don't have the problem you think they have? Or it's not so big of a pain point maybe that it bothers them? Yeah, that could be it. The other thing could be that you didn't make them comfortable enough in the Mm, beginning. It's kind of like when we got on this podcast, we talked for 15 minutes. And by the time we start recording, it's not so like, ooh, we're recording, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's like making the person feel really comfortable. So... I always tell them, even if I'm like showing them something. So another thing we could talk about is like testing ideas. If I'm showing them something or if we're talking about a specific topic, I'll say like, this isn't my idea. I'm just a researcher. I didn't design this. 
even if I did, right? <laughs> like, right. you don't want them to feel bad because people feel really bad giving feedback about stuff. So you want to be careful to make them feel like they can be really honest, that they're safe, that they're not being tested. So a lot of that comes in with just like empathy and making people feel comfortable and not not jumping right into business, like talking about the weather or whatever is a good way to kick it off. I want to get into that. But first, let's take a quick break for our sponsors. Hey there, I want to tell you about Sensei. Sensei is the original solution for creating and selling online courses with WordPress, and it's back and better than ever. As a course creator with Sensei, you get complete ownership over your content and the freedom to customize as much as you need. Sensei has vastly improved the course creation experience, adding a customizable distraction-free mode, video and lesson progression, powerful reporting, and a full set of interactive content blocks. And those blocks, like flashcards, image hotspots, and interactive videos, can be added to any page or post, not just the courses. The goal of Sensei is to make it effortless for course creators to develop personalized instruction for learners. And while Sensei is free to start, you can save 20% on Sensei Pro, allowing you to charge for courses, drip out content, manage groups and cohorts, and leverage new AI tools. Just go to howibuilt.it slash sensei to have the discount automatically applied. That's howibuilt.it slash S-E-N-S-E-I. Hey, real quick before we get back into the episode, I want to tell you about my free newsletter, Podcast Workflows. If you are wondering how I can successfully run this show, plus two other shows, plus run a business, plus run three children, Podcast Workflows is for you. You will get weekly emails with behind-the-scenes look on how I produce this show, experiments I am trying with other podcasts, and general advice to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. You'll also have the opportunity to become a member and get ad-free extended episodes of this show as well as bonus content. You can do all of that over at podcastworkflows.com slash join. That's podcastworkflows.com slash join. Sign up for free today. All right. And we're back. So let's talk about why can't I just build something that works for me, right? I am a customer. I could use my own thing. I had the idea after all. It was a pain point for me. So why can't I just do that and then dog food my own product? It's not about you, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Harsh truth. (laughs) Let's dive into that though. Mic drop. I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I see this all the time, especially like LinkedIn posts that are like, founders should start by building a product that solves their problem. And like, look, that's where a lot of ideas come from and that's okay, but you don't want to then solve the problem and craft a solution that is completely around your own personal experience because you're only one data point. You have to collect more data than that. So when doing research, you want a balance of qualitative and quantitative data. Qualitative data are these quality conversations, the one-to-ones I've been talking about. So having asking those what questions, asking them to tell you stories. You only need like five to start to see trends. So people think, oh, it's going to take me forever to do that work. I don't have time to do that. But it, it actually can happen really fast. You can get results with even as little as three interviews where you start to see themes. Now, this is kind of within a given segment. So for your 
example you gave earlier, maybe your newbie podcasters, you only need to talk to like five. And then for your people that are more advanced in their podcasting career than another five of those. So it's kind of based on the segment, but still or stage of where they're at in their transformation journey, but still you only need five. And then your quantitative data, you can collect more from more people. So your full list, you could do a survey, you can look at your data analytics of your course products or your email and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's not about you. You need more data than one data point. Yeah, because I mean, right, the honest truth is if you're building your thing and you're the only customer, no one's going to buy, right? This is not like, I guess this is like the big difference between like maybe being a coach and being someone who sells a product, right? Because like Aaron Judge has his own batting coach, right? Right. Uh, or, or, <laughs> <laughs> or Lamar Jackson, right? He has a coach to okay. help him when he's in the pocket and his O-line is collapsing or whatever. Yeah, now you're speaking my language. Right, but that's going to be different (laughs) for everybody, right? Tom Brady was apparently like untouchable when he was a football player. So like he he would handle being in the pocket that wasn't collapsing very differently. So like there, maybe you have like these one-on-one bespoke solutions. But when you are building something that you want to sell to more than just one person, you need more than one person to validate the pain point. So true. Have you ever tried to use somebody's Notion template and been like, my brain doesn't work this way? (laughs) Yes. This is what has prevented me from buying other Notion templates. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work for me. Yes. It's like the most hilarious thing in the world to me because every time I get one of these templates, I'm like, this doesn't work for my brain. And I've thought about hiring somebody to help me build a dashboard for my business. And I'm like... I just don't think this is going to be a good use of my money. I think I have to spend my time figuring out how I want it organized because it has to work for me. And so anyway, my point is everybody's different and you have to test these things. Now, if you made a Notion template and you gave it to 10 people that are who you think is like your ideal customer and you said, hey, test this and give me feedback and then you make it better, then it's probably a good template. But most template creators don't do that. (laughs) Right. They build the thing that works for them. They're like, I'm going to put this out there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is really funny, actually, because as we record this, I am moving my whole operation from Airtable to Notion. And I took the free Notion template that people can opt into. And I was like, oh, I'll just use this. This is based on my Airtable base anyway. And then I made a bunch of changes to it, like my own thing that I was giving away for free. I'm like, oh, that's not really how I use this anymore. So it's really funny because like it's a thing that like past me built that future me or current me like can't even use today without modifying it. So it's so funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, I I don't know where that idea came from just now. But yeah, it's like something that's just really mulling around in my head because I'm like, oh, I wish I could just get some templates for this stuff, but I just know it won't work. So right. or I haven't found the right person yet. <laughs> yeah, well, it's hard though, right? Because like I'm working on a book, right? My next book on podcasting. And I was like, oh, yeah, so I'll do this in Notion. I'll just find like a book writing template in Notion. And like the first few I found were fiction, right? So it's like character board and places board. And I'm like, I don't need any of that. Uh, I need like case studies, right? And like big ideas and actionable advice or whatever. And then I found one it was, and it was just like chapters. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to probably just work in Ulysses, to be honest, because that's where I write. And so that's probably the best place for me to do it. So it's, I think you're right. And then I don't want to lose this thought because you made a really good point, right? Multiple data points, finding results within like three to five people. 
but it really depends on their journey, right? So you mentioned like people who are just starting a podcast, that's going to be, I'm going to have to talk to different people than starting versus going to the next steps, right? Because when you're starting a podcast, literally wrote this in my newsletter this morning, there's a pretty clear blueprint that you can follow to launch a podcast, right? It's like you need to do these steps and whoever needs help with that just needs help with those steps versus growth. That's going to be very niche based and very audience based. And it could be that you've positioned your show wrong or that your content needs tweaks. And so like solving that problem, there's no blueprint to solve that problem. There's things we can try. Yeah. I think another thing that comes in here is sometimes research all the time. Research can really help you with figuring out the personalization strategy that you need to have because within every group of customers, you're going to have different variations. And if you could like answer a few questions and then get the template that's best suited for you, now that could work, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> there's yeah. just like little differences that can make or break whether or not it's a great product or not for that person. And I've worked on a lot of custom software, like dashboards, like insurance products, ad platform, like lots of categories. And the one number one thing that comes out of research sprints is people want personalization. They want everything to feel like it was made for them, which means you have to do some of that work to be able to create that experience. I mean, and so we both kind of come from the technology field, right? And I know you've worked with WordPress. I've worked extensively with WordPress one of the things that would always drive me crazy about freelancers who would do work for clients when they got a new client is they would say, they would always say, I never work with GoDaddy. So like the first thing we're going to do is move you off of GoDaddy or I hate Bluehost. The first thing I'm going to do is move you off Bluehost. And I'm like, hey friends, maybe the client is happy with GoDaddy. They understand it. And if you hate GoDaddy, you shouldn't thrust a cost upon them to move to the thing that you like you should just not take them on as a client. I know that's really hard to hear, but if you don't want to work with the tools that they like using, then you should not be working with them. I told my client who's on GoDaddy, I'm like, look, just so you know, it takes me like 25% longer because you're on like a low GoDaddy plan and it, it takes a long time. So it's going to cost you more. And if you ever want to move, I will help you move. But if you're happy, we'll stay here. It's your website. I feel like it's the same thing with like kind of like you said, personalization, right? Like I'm trying to help people improve their processes and I need to be very careful to not be like, well, I know you use Trello, but I prefer Notion, right? And so we're going to move. This is like a perfect recipe for you to never use the thing I help you set up. Yeah, yeah. It's such a challenge being in service business work. Like I was at the custom software agency I was at for five years and different clients would be on totally different systems. Like we'd have people on Microsoft, people on Google. And then our business was on Google. And so Microsoft was a real pain to like try to get into if you don't have like there, you know, anyway, my right. point is it just takes so much time. That's a problem that needs solved. <laughs> There's somebody out there listening. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> if you are a service-based business owner and all your clients use different tools, that is such a time sink for the service, the people doing services, but you're right. You can't just move everybody to the systems that you want to be on. Right, right. I mean, like, if you can, great, right? You're solving a different problem. Or like, you have such a big audience and a big client base that you can very easily turn away those people, right? Who don't fit your exact criteria exactly. But again, like for me, if someone's like, hey, I need help improving my processes. By the way, I use Buzzsprout 
and Descript or I use GarageBand or whatever. I'm, I'm not, I can't be like, well, change your whole life for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I draw boundaries with that stuff. Like for my clients that are on ConvertKit, I'll help them set up their mm-hmm. lead magnets and automations. If they're on anything else, I'm like, here's my people. Because <laughs> yeah. frankly, I don't want to learn how to do the other tools. It's just not my zone of genius. Like I only can help with ConvertKit because that's what I use in my business. <laughs> you know, so I know it. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense, right? Like I have tried a lot of tools. So, you know, if someone wants to use Notion or Airtable or Trello, I'm familiar with all of those things. But if someone comes to me and they're like, I, oh yeah, we use Asana. I'm going to straight up be like, I don't know Asana very well. Here are some ideas, but you're going to have to try those yourself, right? Or like pay me an hourly rate to learn it. Like, I guess I could do that. But like, again, like, am I spending time in my zone of genius at that point? Probably not. So I will say throughout my research, I have a number of my coaching clients have said, can I just like give you my files and then like be done with it like you? And I'm like, oh yeah, like probably. So this is the next like big service I'm validating, right? Is can someone just give me files and edit instructions and then I put them into my process? And how much are people willing to pay for that? Because that's a little different from the services I currently offer. And I want it to make sense. I think that's really smart. As somebody who's tried to do a lot of productized services that are more like strategy or here's how to do it or here's the directions. And then they're like, great, what do you have for like done for you? And I'm like, ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we got to yes. figure that out. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Oh, we're going to talk about this in the pro show too, because this is something I thought about a lot. Like, I don't know if you know Brian Castle or you know who he is. He had a website called Productize where he talked a lot about productized services. Oh, yeah, he yeah. launched Zip Message, which is now called Clarity Flow. And he came on the show. And after that, I was like, I need to productize a service. And I just realized that like nothing that I did or could help people with was really productizable. Well, now your audits, right? Now my audits, yeah, for sure. But like then I was thinking like, oh yeah, productized podcast editing. Brian found the same thing that like that's really hard to productize because everything is it's not like you don't get like a brief and write a blog post you get like files that are a crapshoot and then you need to figure out how to best work with them so that's really interesting I want to talk to you more about that okay so just to sum up here where we are we've talked about why research is important right and how to do some good research We, we touched on that earlier We talked about why we can't just build what works for us, and it's because it's not about us. We are a customer of one, and we need to find, presumably, more than one customer. So I know we've touched on this already, but assuming you've convinced everybody listening that good research needs to happen, and again, if you've been listening for the last few weeks, you're already convinced of that. How do I do good research? Like Conversations with people sound scary to me. And like a lot of work, but how do I do it right? Yeah. Well, I think that's a misconception that it's a lot of work. I mean, sure, it might be five hours, but I don't know. Was five hours a lot of work? (laughs) Is five hours a lot of work if it's going to save you 20 hours? Right, exactly. If it's going to save you thousands of dollars, potentially. I mean, I watched founders build custom software projects that cost them hundreds of thousands and they refuse to pay for research. And the whole time we're like, we invalidate these ideas. And then it launches to crickets. Like I've witnessed that multiple times. Yeah. So and course creators, same thing, right? Like course creators will yeah. like go in into like a hole and spend three to six months developing a course and then launch and wonder why nobody bought it. You know, maybe it's because people know you as a developer and not somebody who just can launch a WordPress blog. 2016 Joe, 
<laughs> that was like my first course. How to launch a blog. One person bought it. That was like a developer. Like, what does Joe know about launching? What does Joe know about monetizing blogs? Yeah, the best way to do a course would be to do like a wait list and then do interviews and surveys with your people that are on the wait list and then develop the sales page, sell it, pre-sell it. And then if you get sales, run it live. Yes. Then learn from that experience and then develop the recorded version. Y'all, you just got the blueprint. You got the <laughs> blueprint for launching a course. Oh, there you go. If you are writing scripts or recording videos right now, <laughs> right now being today, stop and do what Becky just told you to do because it's going to save you heartache and disappointment. Take it from me, who's gone through what you're doing now so many times. Validate, create the sales page, run it live, then do the recordings. I love that. That was a side quest, but it was a really important one because everybody wants to make a course and they all think they need to do it the same way. I need the course to sell first. We do. Okay, so how to do great research really comes down to collecting different types of data and making sure they are of quality. So coming back to what we talked about earlier, you want qualitative data and quantitative data. So that means looking at your analytics. So for me personally, I use Miro, take whatever whiteboarding tool you like and just start screenshotting stuff and dumping it in there. So I take, I go to my website analytics, I go to my email platform analytics, like what were my best performing? And this is very high level research if you want to do like discovery across everything. So what were my best performing newsletters? What pages are most visited on my website? What products are selling right now? What is getting no sales? Looking into email sequences and funnels, like where do people drop off? If you already have a course, is there a certain module everybody stops watching after? <laughs> like dig into the data you have and the real numbers you have. So that's number one. Number two is send a survey to your whole audience. Now, surveys, here's a few tips on surveys. You want them to be as short as possible. If it's more than 10 minutes, you have a significant drop-off. Less than five minutes is going to be the best results you get. So most tools will tell you this takes three minutes to respond to. If you're getting above five minutes, look at what you can reduce. But the most important thing about a survey is that you have a goal for what you're trying to learn and that every single question you ask, you know exactly how you're going to use that data. So I actually wrote a survey this morning that's going to people that purchase my program that's running in January. And in the, or one of the survey questions is about revenue. Like, where are you at revenue-wise in your business? And I sat there for, I don't know, probably five minutes. And I was like, do I need this question? What am I going to do with this data? Is this important? How is this going to help my people, my community members that are joining this program by me knowing this information? And I could come up with answers. So I was like, okay, great, I'll keep it. But for some other questions, I cut them. So I think just be really intentional about the questions you ask. And whatever you do, don't start with an open question where you're like, tell me why you joined this course <laughs> or like whatever, or like, tell me what your greatest challenge is right now. That's qualitative in nature and surveys are for quantitative data, which means like an example is in one of the questions I wrote was what kind of products and services do you offer in your business? And it was like check boxes, select as many as apply. That's a quantitative question. It's closed. I just want to see like what are the most popular products out of the people that are going to be in the program? What kind of things do they have, right? So making sure that your questions are quantitative in your survey. 
I want to pause on this for a minute because that's really important, right? This is a lesson I learned with like email engagement too, was the first email I would send is like, tell me your biggest problem in podcasting. That's such an open-ended question that like someone reading my email is not ready to answer at that point, right? Tell me your biggest anything or your best anything, right? Like that's like people are going to be like, oh, what is my biggest, right? Well, I guess it's like making money, but is that my biggest? And then they're not going to answer you, right? But Questions like, I've actually, I've had great success with questions I tack on to my webinar registration because those are like, I know what they are joining for. And so I usually say, where are you in your podcast journey? I'm just starting. I've started. I've pod faded. And then like, what's one struggle or what's a recent problem or something like that? And like, I get a lot, about 50% of people answer those questions, but I warm them up, right? What's your name? What's your email address? Easy. Where are you in your podcast journey? Easy. And now like, all right, tell me a little bit, like what's one question you want to ask me during the webinar, right? Because that's like, oh yeah, that's Joe's going to answer my question live. Yeah, that's really good. Also, people like to talk about themselves. So if you ask in the beginning, like, what are you building? Or I think that's what mine is. People are excited to respond and tell you, like ask them about something that gets them jazzed to talk about. Nice. That's really smart. So I love what we've heard here so far, right? First of all, user analytics, like that, I'm just going to put that on repeat or like put that on my whiteboard because like I never, I never look or I I don't look nearly as often as I should, right? I like recently discovered that one of my 20 minute solo episodes is according to Apple Podcasts, like the most consumed episode, like as far as like minutes listened. And I'm like, well, I should probably do something about that, right? That's (laughs) That feels like an important data point. So look at your analytics, whatever you have so far, and then surveys, short as possible, less than five minutes, right? Because you don't want to ask for a commitment. Now, now you're like, oh, I'm going to take time out of your day. Yeah, and give them some easy wins, like make the first couple questions simple, multiple choice, something they can click. And if you can make it fun in any way, like add fun in <laughs> and save your open-ended, like you can have one maybe open-ended question, meaning people would type a paragraph. Do it at the very end and make it optional because that's when people give up. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it's the same. That's like the same advice that I would give somebody who's teaching in a classroom and making a test, right? Like the worst tests have the hardest questions first. You're just, it's like demoralizing right at the beginning, right? You want to start them with something really easy so that they build their confidence and then ask them the harder open ended questions, right? What are the ramifications of France entering the American Revolution? Right. Who was the first president should be the first question on that test. Right. (laughs) So I love that. But there is opportunity for those deeper questions, right? Because you talked about quantitative versus qualitative. And then, so I guess, how do we get some of those deeper answers that we're looking for? Yeah. So that's all going to be in conversations. You can't get like, the reason is because in a survey, it's hard to follow up with why and really get like meaningful answers. And so the qualitative comes in with your conversations. I have a couple tips on that. So like I mentioned, you'll see trends at three to five. So this is where people get really nervous about the time commitment and the effort. But you just say like, hey, I'd love to chat with you and talk more about this topic. You could offer an incentive if you want to. If you're willing to like sign up for time here and you give them a Calendly link. Now, when you meet, like we talked about earlier, you want to make them feel really comfortable because you don't want to feel like you're being tested or interviewed, like this is them helping you. And you want them to feel like 
you're helping me make this product better. You're helping me improve this experience for you. Like turn it back on why it's valuable for them. But most importantly, you want to record the session because you want to make sure you're not adding your inherent bias to your notes. Because afterwards, we'll be like, this was my main takeaway and my insight. But what you want to do is actually look for themes across the transcripts. People, I don't know why I can't say that word. Transcripts. <laughs> it's like how, um, oh my gosh, Benedict Cumberbatch can't say penguins. Have you ever seen that? I don't think I could say that person's name. Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. Ben, uh, Benedict, Doctor Strange. Ben, Smog. Yeah, Doctor Strange. Okay. Yeah. Brandywine Cumberbund. <laughs> but that's really smart. Because like I do record conversations, but I also take my own notes. But you're right. I have my own biases, right? If they say like, it's really hard to be a parent and run a podcast, I'm going to be like, yes, this is what I believe too. But like I never, no one thinks that right in the moment. They're just like, oh yes, I have been validated. I'm going to run with this. Yeah. You have to be careful not to use bad research practices to make business decisions, which is why I'm so interested in teaching this topic. Like, And I by no means have like a PhD in research, but I have worked with PhD researchers and learned the stuff from them. And so you have to be really careful about validation bias and adding bias to your notes. So transcripts are really great. And then literally highlighting and like copy pasting out the themes and notes and insights in their words and then looking at that. So yeah, (laughs) transcripts. And like, I mean, as we record this, right, this is like, the talk of the town. And actually we, on last week's episode with Brian McAnulty, like we touch on this, but ChatGPT or OpenAI just rolled out like the ability to create custom GPTs. Feels like research is a really good, you know, you feed it a bunch of transcripts and then you're like, what are the trends here? Or like, what are the themes that keep coming up, right? Because AI only knows exactly what you've told it and it looks yeah. for pattern recognition. I should so build that. I know, right? And like you, from what I under, I haven't tried this, but from what I understand, you don't need to be a developer to build these things. You like feed it a bunch of information and then you have your own GPT, your own assistant or whatever. So really interesting. Well, I lost a thought here. So I'm going to try to bring it back. Record the conversation so you don't have your own bias. Look for themes in the transcripts. This is why I listen to, we're not going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about like politics writ large, right? Not like specific points here. But like I listen to a lot of podcasts where like they hate polls. Like they just think like polls can be like so inaccurate and like the questions that certain media outlets ask, like any media outlets on either side will ask. And they're like, this is bad data, right? Because they're asking like, I don't know, why is Joe Biden terrible? Or like, how do you think the election was stolen? Like those are both terrible questions, right? Yeah. Leading questions. Yeah. Being mindful of everything Becky just told us here. Is like stuff that can really help you kind of enrich all areas of your life, I guess is where I'm going here. Like if you're aware of your own bias, it'll be a lot easier to kind of separate yourself and look at things more objectively. Yeah, I think this research work really helps us with empathy and making sure, and there's a lot of careful strategy that needs to go into survey distribution, to your point, because, but in our sphere for solopreneurs, like survey your whole audience or whole list. Like that's okay. But when I'm working with like really large brands that have a cultural impact, like we need to make sure that we're not just sampling people that look like us, you know, and just being really careful about, and that's hard to get right and takes a lot of resources. Now, 
that doesn't fall as much under my like scrappy research umbrella, which is more like understanding who's in your particular subscribers and audience and making sure you're talking to all of them. But one thing you can do too is like if you ran the survey first, you can get, actually, this is my preferred method to get interviews. So run the survey first and ask a few, you can ask a few like demographic type questions. And then in the survey results, you pull out the report and at the end you say, hey, are you willing to have a one-on-one with me? Most people check the box. Yes. It's surprising. Because we're aspirational and we want to please people, right? Like to your point earlier. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. So then you filter your survey results for the people that said yes. And then the demographic list and make sure you get a good sample of people that represent different types of people and who you want to talk to. So that's a good way to do it. And then you reach out to that group and start there. And then you can expand out if you don't get enough, but you only need five. So you probably can get there. Uh, You only need five. You only need five. If you take away nothing else, which seems impossible because this has been a great conversation. Remember that you only need five. We're not going for statistical significance here, right? We're going for checking the temperature of the people who have already opted in to what you have to say and do. Well, it's funny, actually, like with interviewing, when you get people on the call that have a similar like persona type, you will see the same thing. Like I've done five, I've done 25. And by interview six, you're freaking bored because you're like, (laughs) every conversation is the same. And it just happens over and over and over because the themes are off there. It actually is statistically significant. And this is based on Nielsen Norman Group. I didn't make this up, but that's like the user research, I yeah. don't know, Godfather or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. They're the people who, I don't know if you've ever gotten like a $5 bill in the mail with like a survey for like your TV watching habits. <laughs> Am I just old? <laughs> like, I just no, like old I know myself. What you're there? Okay. About. We got one recently. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure it's like less common now because like everybody streams, so it's like really easy. It's a lot easier to get that data now. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's really interesting. So I know we're like coming up on time here, but I have to ask now: What if you have six, seven conversations and like there's no themes? It's just like all over the map. Yeah. Well, if that happens, keep going. You're probably talking to a really diverse group and you need to identify who the different personas and segments are. So you might start to see, let's say you do 10 interviews and you've got themes among three and four over here and three and four over here. You just have two different persona segments. And I did a really big research initiative like this with Boss Babe members when I was had a product at Boss Babe. And we had 20, I think I did 25 interviews. There were three clear persona groups. So, yeah. Nice. And so, but like, that's okay, right? These are people in your audience. You just need to tailor your offer a little bit to them. Yeah. So coming out of the research, you have to identify, let's say you notice there's three different groups. You have to identify which one is the primary one you're focusing on for whatever products you're going to create. So like 65% of ours were one of those personas. So that one's the primary. Okay, cool. That's good. So what we're learning here, right? Do good research and then focus on one. At least to start, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Well, Becky, this has been an awesome conversation. I could keep going, but I want to be cognizant of your time and everybody's time. So thank you so much. If people want to learn more about what you're doing, because I know you have a cohort or a program launching next month, where can people learn about you, do all the things? Yeah. So I have a program launching next month. If you want to do all this research with me and want my help, I give you feedback on your survey questions, your interview guides, give you tips on how to do the outreach. 
then we analyze all the data together and actually map your customer journey and come up with product ideas. So six-week program. It's going to be great. It starts January 18th. It's called Journeymakers Live. So that's on my website, beckypearson.com slash journeymakerslive for the particular page. And I'm on Instagram at build with Becky. <laughs> I just changed my handle. <laughs> build W Becky. Build W Becky. Yeah. Build W Becky. <laughs> Awesome. (laughs) I will link all of that, everything that we talked about in the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 345. If you want to hear a longer ad-free version of our conversation, you can become a member at that same link. But definitely check out Becky's program because I got like the matinee version of it right early on over the summer. And it helped me shape what I'm offering today. So I can't say enough nice things about it. Becky, thanks so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. This was so much fun. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And thanks to our sponsors. Thank you for listening. And until next time, get out there and build something.